Pastor Xavier Reese offers this warning to those who close their ears to the gospel. It would be better that you have never heard of Jesus than for you to hear about Jesus and then to stand on Judgment Day and realize that you betrayed Jesus because you never lived for Him. You just went through the formalities. You carried the Bible. You went to church. You did many things. Devastating, isn't it? It would be better for you to have never been born. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Image, style, position, and popularity. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where it's more important what people think about us than where we'll be spending eternity. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Gospel of Matthew, where he'll examine the lives of three types of people and how their opinion of Jesus changed their eternity. Here he is with today's Simple Truths. Matthew 26, verses 1 through 30. I've entitled the message, What is Your Attitude Towards Jesus? In these 30 verses, we want to look at three individuals regarding their attitude towards Jesus and His cross. The first group is found in verses 1 through 5, the men who hated Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders are the members of the Sanhedrin court, like the supreme court of the land, in verse 3. They have been assembled there at the palace of the chief priest Caiaphas. He was a political appointee by the Roman Empire. Here we see him at the head of the plot. All of the members of the Sanhedrin plotting how they might Kill Jesus. The word trickery means to bait. It's used for baiting and trapping an animal. But notice they didn't want to do it during the feast, verse 5. But who was in control? Jesus was. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. And I not only have the power to lay it down, but I have the power to pick it up again. Verses 6 through 13, you have the woman who loved Jesus. What a contrast. Notice the contrast here. These guys hate him. Here's a woman who loves Jesus so much that it's, it's overwhelming, and her love is even magnified by the indifference of the disciples who were supposed to be the ones who loved him the most. The woman came having alabaster flax there, very costly fragrant oil, poured it on his head and sat down at the table. Now John tells us, poured it on his feet. Are there two different occasions? No. The very basic hospitality anointing is symbolic of here. The head and the feet washing them. She washed him with her hair, anointed his head. But later on, as we go down, Jesus says in verse 12, she anointed his whole body. The response of the disciples in verse 8 is amazing. They saw they were indignant. They were ticked off, saying, For what purpose is this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, if that's all we had, we would have said, man, these guys were right on. These guys were spiritual. Be careful of people who are always pointing to the exteriors to give an air of spirituality when in heart they're carnal and they're not sensitive to God at all. For in pouring the fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. 
You remember that there wasn't enough time for Jesus and the body to be anointed. That's why they had to come back on the next day. Well, here she's knowing this. She fulfills this. There are times when you will do things for Jesus because you are walking with Jesus. You are growing in Jesus. You have a passion for Jesus. And the things that you will do will seem absolutely idiotic to other people, even Christians. You, you, did, you did what? You sold your car? You stayed home for him? What's the matter with you? And they will think, what a waste. But yet, you know it wasn't. They don't have any idea of what you've experienced. Because you're obeying Jesus. What a difference. Don't let anybody look down upon you or let the looking down upon you discourage you from walking and following Jesus, obeying him. Regardless of what they say, you follow Jesus. It may seem foolish and a waste to them, but you have to obey Jesus. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Is he neglecting the poor? I, I, I would not think that that was the scenario. I think that anybody who would think that Jesus is looking down the poor here has not read the Gospels. If there was anybody who cared for the poor, it was Jesus. The law declared the widows, the orphans, the poor. Jesus lived it out. But in this case, in this scenario, in this context, the most important thing is Jesus. You know what I mean? And so you and I have to distinguish the priorities of my life. Sometimes people are first. At other times, I just have to sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus exalts her and says, Surely I say to you, whatever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. What an honor. How many things that King Solomon did that are not even written? Great works. How many things have men donated and done? And you will never hear them. But this woman, she will be remembered as long as the gospel is preached. She poured out her best for the Lord. I would imagine the disciples at this time felt pretty low. It isn't the first time. It isn't the second time. Jesus was always rebuking them. Read the Gospels. They always seem to be messing up. Now that's good because that encourages me. But they weren't sensitive to the things of God. The woman who loved Jesus, what a contrast. She's not only a contrast to those who hated Jesus in the first five, the Sanhedrin, but she's in sharp contrast to those who were supposedly the closest to Jesus, the disciples. Now, we know that Judas Iscariot said this because he used to pilfer the treasury. And he saw a whole year's wages and he says, man, I could have got a good cut out of that. 
And some Christians, all they look at is the financial gain or loss. That's their whole perspective. Their accounting is earthly, not heavenly. Verses 14 to verse 30. We have the men, the man who betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot. He is called the son of perdition. And yet, God chose him. Did God make a mistake? Nope. Did God predestine him to be damned? Nope. Are you saying that if Judas Iscariot would have repented, Jesus would have forgiven him? Yep. Well, then how would have God worked out the son of protection? I don't know. But I know that whoever repents, God will forgive. If there's genuine repentance. But Judas Iscariot was in love with himself. He had a very good self-esteem. You know that's your greatest enemy? It's self-love. Judas loved himself. For all he did, he did for himself. Two ways that you tell a person loves themselves. One, they do everything for themselves. Secondly, they're always in pity parties. They love no one but themselves. There's no room for anybody else. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Zechariah eleven twelve prophesied of the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. The Psalms spoke of Ahithophel, I believe Psalm 91 where David cries out and says, if it would have been an enemy of mine, I could have taken it. But he was a brother who took sweet counsel with me and broke bread and went into the house of God and he betrayed me, remember? He betrayed David and he took the sides with Absalom. Twofold prophecy. Ahithophel he spoke about and then Judas Iscariot. One who had walked with Jesus. This is the one who betrayed Jesus. 30 pieces of silver, it probably added up to a little bit over $20. $20. What a shame. You know, when you love money, it is amazing what you will do even for the little bit of money. It just seems that you can't get enough. Read the Proverbs. We don't have time this morning. The danger of money, the danger of coveting, it becomes an idol. Because money becomes power, and power means I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. Money means power. You want to see power, you look at somebody with money. And you watch how people act around them. You watch how they treat people. You watch how they spend their money. You watch their philosophy of life live down. Rarely, rarely can people handle money and walk with God. There are exceptions, but rarely. Plenty of parables Jesus gave to that sense, but we won't get sidetracked right now. 
Now on the first day of the week, of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, um, what do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread followed the Passover the 14th, the 15th, and the 21st was seven days. But usually it was identified together was eight days long. And so they're coming to Jesus and asking about the preparation. And he told them in verse 18 to go to the city and there a certain man would meet them. Now the other gospels tell us that it would be a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now that's very peculiar because that was a woman's chore. They couldn't miss him. And of course, Jesus had already made preparations, even as he made preparations for the donkey earlier. And here they go, and they find the place, and verse 19, they did as Jesus told them. And when the evening had come, in verse 20, Jesus sat down. The word is to recline, because they reclined to eat in those days. As he was eating with them, he said, verse 21, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will Betray me. What an awesome statement, huh? You've walked with Jesus for three years, over three years, and all of a sudden you're here sitting down, and he says at meal, one of you is going to betray me. Now, notice the response. They were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Can you imagine? You know what it tells me? Every one of the disciples knew the capacity was in them. What would you have said? Not I, Lord. I am amazed that they all said, is it I? For three years, they've been haggling who is the greatest. They've been arguing. They've been rebuked by Jesus. They all had experienced their own agenda, their own desires, their own self-love. By this time, they know their full potential for perverseness. How long have you been walking with Jesus? Do you have a good grip on your potential for perverseness and evil? While at the same time, hopefully, you have seen the transformation and the godliness that God has brought about your life? Or do you just see the righteousness and you feel that you're beyond any evil? then you are truly deceived. Is it I, Lord? Then he answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. He gives a sign in verse 23. Now, stop and think about it. John chapter 13, Jesus has already washed every one of their feet. What were they arguing about? Who was the greatest? And he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He has washed Judas' feet. Judas has made this arrangement four days previously and has probably has a very silver in his hand, in his pocket. As Jesus comes to wash his feet and looks square into his eyes. 
for four days. And now he announces that one will betray me. The one who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. John 13, 26 tells us Jesus gave him the bread. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better or good for that man if he had never been born. Do you understand the devastation of that statement? It would be better that you have never heard of Jesus than for you to hear about Jesus and then to stand on Judgment Day and realize that you have just betrayed Jesus. How? Because you never lived for Him. You just went through the formalities. You carried the Bible. You went to church. You even helped in ministry. You did many things. Devastating, isn't it? It would be better for you to have never been born. God judges us according to the life we have received, not to the works that we do. To those that much is given, much is required. The greater the light, the greater the judgment. The greater the privilege, the greater responsibility. You cannot escape it. He identifies him. And he says, the Son of Man. That's an Old Testament title for the Messiah, Daniel chapter 9, chapter 7. Ezekiel uses it. People say Jesus never said he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, you better read the title. If you just underline the titles, the times that he says it, he said it many times. The Sanhedrin, as we move on, knew when he said the Son of Man that he was declaring himself to be Messiah, the Son of God, coming back in glory. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He didn't say, Lord, like the others. He says, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. He could have repented right there, did he? No. What is it that God has been dealing with you and he says, turn, repent, but you keep grieving the conviction. You keep putting it off. You keep thinking you're the exception. You keep thinking he'll never know. Then I, I, I would suggest that you turn, that you respond, because he is able to cleanse you from all sin when there's genuine repentance, a turnaround with a change of heart. He didn't do it, as you know. He led the betrayal. He betrayed him with a kiss, passionate, repeated kiss of friendship. Interesting, Judas was never at the trial. He couldn't handle it. He went out and killed himself. You see, there are some things that if we don't turn to God, we end up really committing spiritual, if not physical, suicide. Because we can't handle it, can we? Only God can handle it for us. 
As they were reading, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples said, Take eat, this is my body. He took the cup and he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so here he institutes the Lord's Supper. Now there's argument whether Jesus celebrated the Passover feast the night before or the very night. But if you look to John's gospel, he had to have celebrated the night before. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to be crucified on the very day of the Passover. And so, remember, there is no mention of a lamb in here. There's the bread, there's the cup of the regular Passover, but there's no lamb. But here, he explains the better covenant. The fulfillment of all that was prophesied of the old. The book of Hebrews is an excellent commentary on the Old Testament. A better covenant, a more sure covenant. One who forgives sins and brings us to the throne of grace anytime we have need and we can find help. He says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And so, Passover was always looking back to the exodus of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. Bitter herbs, the bitter experience of the world, eating it in haste, the cup, the various cups that would be drunk, the lamb, as the angel of death leaped over the house where the blood was on the doorpost and the lintel. It all prefigured Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. But now, the Lord's Supper reminds us of what He did for us. He died for us. No longer looking back to the bitter experience of the world, but looking to the joyful work. For the Hebrew says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and despised the shame. But it also looks forward to the future when He will not partake until He once again will drink with us in the Father's kingdom. Jesus here takes sort of a Nazareth bow, not taking any more wine. Interesting. Until he returns. And when he sets up the kingdom, he'll partake with us in the marriage supper of the Lamb as we return to the earth with him. Now at this time, you and I would have been bummed out. But because Jesus was in control, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The psalms that they're singing here is Psalm 113 through 18. They sung a few of them before, the latter of them at the end, and then they finished out with Psalm 136. Read those psalms. You'll see the progression, the joy of the celebration and everything else. Arm in arm, out the east gate, down the Kidron, up the Mount of Olives, where to? The Garden of Gethsemane. Joyfully. Why? Because when he saw what was to be accomplished by the cross, his face was satisfied, Isaiah 53 says. He knew that man would be redeemed. What an interesting contrast between the men who hated Jesus, the woman who loved Jesus, and the man who betrayed Jesus. Where do you fit? Do you hate Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you betraying Jesus? by your lifestyle. You fit in one of these three categories. Only you can examine yourself. 
but it's very important that you do examine yourself and turn to God. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about salvation. And if we can answer any questions you might have, please don't hesitate to contact us. And when you do, you can request a copy of today's important message called What's Your Attitude Towards Jesus? It's available on CD, as always, for only $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with your friends and family. The title to ask for once again is What is Your Attitude Towards Jesus? Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, when it's all said and done, what really matters at the end of the day? Find the answer to that important question when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com